Okay, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's well. Happy Friday. What a great day, Friday. No? A great day. You know what's amazing? If I could just note this for the record before we continue uh, with the regularly scheduled program. This is something that I have tried my hardest to work on. I can't say that I'm anywhere near where I want to be on this, but I am at least recognized that there is a pathway to pleasure in this one idea. Many times in life when there's an anticipation for something, it, it, it creates a frustration. You just want to get it already. And we, we rush towards the frustration part of that feeling versus the, the joy of almost having something. And if we, if we learn to train ourselves to bask in the joy of almost having something versus the frustration of not having it yet, we get so much more intense pleasure in life. Like when you're hungry and you're about to sit at a wonderful meal. So you want to get to the meal. But if you just bask in the joy of I'm about to, right? The anticipation. This is the, my world on Friday morning. The, the joy that I have that the world is going to transition from the weekday into Shabbat is so overwhelming. This like time warp that we get to walk into that I go from being like, I got to get there already. And I'm trying to train myself to just enjoy the fact that it's almost here. So happy Friday for everybody, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what your weekend looks like. Happy Friday. We're going to do a couple of Q&As. And I want to end off with a thought um, based on what's going on now with the current system, situation in America. Um, I just want to talk about that just a little bit before we get to the... um, before we get to the end of the weekend. Uh, thanks everybody for sending in questions. We're finishing up, at least for now. We'll always, with God's help, we'll circle back to it. But we're finishing now this idea about discipline. Question came in from Miriam. Great question about giving. Person is a giver by nature, connected to enthusiasm. She's asking sort of the question, right? When you think about enthusiasm, zeal, and you compare it to um, the discipline, really it plays out in your life in the world of being, if someone is a natural giver, but they feel like sometimes they give too much and they're taken advantage of, and if they say no, they feel bad. I want to share with you a concept um, that I heard from a great rabbi in Israel named Rabbi Levi. He, He explained that one of the most important things in life is the idea of integrity. Integrity is at the core of the highest quality. Maybe we'll get to this trait one day. Um, And integrity of speech, we've spoken about this here, is so critical. So I wanna wanna break down the balance of overgiving into a a few different levels. The first level is the idea of making people happy. This is exactly the balance of enthusiasm and discipline. Listen to how this plays. Someone asks you for something that you don't think you can deliver. Now, there is a difference between saying something and, you know, realizing what they really want is someone to hear them out and saying yes to things that you really know you can't deliver on because you just like saying yes or you like making people happy. I do that all the time. I mean, all the time. 
And one of the hardest aspects of negotiating a relationship with somebody else is the ability to not do things or say you're going to do things that you really can't deliver on. Because that is a, a drop of integrity. It's a drop down of integrity. And it's hard for us to figure out how to say no in a way that still maintains the relationship. It's hard for us to say I can't or maybe later to somebody in a way that is really correct versus I'm just being lazy. In the world of trying to make people happy, in the world of trying to maintain good relationships, it's challenging for us to know when the answer is yes, and I can do it, and it's healthy for me to do it. And here it is, and it's healthy for you for me to do it. I was reading a book recently about, um, about believe it or not, the it was like the archaeological and, and, and biblical account of Sodom and Gomorrah. Incredible story. Maybe we could talk about this one day. They were living in the plush, the most plushest part of uh, what is now Israel. And as a result, they rebelled against God. And this author was speaking about the, was the science or the, definitely the, the thinking of people that have been given everything without having to do anything. These people were living in, God, so to speak, gave them this incredible area to live in. They never really had to work hard. And what they did was, it was they basically just rotted on the inside. I saw this quote. I don't know if it's true or not. I saw this where they said that 90% of all billionaires' grandchildren never achieve the level of success that is appropriate for them. They lose most of their wealth, not their children, the grandchildren. I'm, not, I'm sure there's exceptions that are even listening to this right now. The idea is that sometimes giving and giving and giving actually hurts the person. There are parents who are now suffering from children that they've spent every second of their lives giving to. Many of them email me, suffering. And they're going, what? I've been giving, and sometimes it's because it's not their fault. In hindsight, they realize they may have given too much. So in our interpersonal relationships, if you can look at relationships and you look at it from the prism of what we've been working on these past few weeks, how much do I give that's good for them, that is healthy for me, not good for me, healthy for me. It's different because good for me is a little bit too self-interested. You want to be thinking about health because health really is still giving to other people. You can't give if you're not healthy. Mom is not being selfish when she needs to sleep a little bit in the morning and she can't like constantly be crazy. She needs some time to breathe, not because she's being selfish, because if she doesn't sleep for like, she's going to, she just can't continue to give. So when you think about self, think of it from the perspective of health. When you think about others, think of it from the perspective of their emotional health. The discipline that we put into the interpersonal relationships really is trying to help us calibrate the balance of what is the appropriate amount of things that I should give you, not that I could give you. 
And the way we do it is you give a little bit more than you think you could, and then always bring, bring back. Whatever you're doing with your clients, with your family, with the world, the, the appropriate way to balance it, to calibrate how much enthusiasm and zeal and how much discipline is give a little bit more till it hurts. And if you feel like it is unhealthy for you or for them, you can always pull back. You never give not enough because you just won't know if you're not giving because it's laziness or selfishness or you're not giving because it's appropriate. But when you take that and you balance it with discipline, here's where it gets challenging because if you can't give, you now have to push yourself to still maintain the love, the relationship, the affection. And it's harder to learn how to say no and stay connected and to say yes and not deliver. It's harder to tell a child, no, and I still love you, then I'll get it for you. And then you're in your back going, I can't get it. I do this all the time. Ask Andy. I'm always, I'm too many times going, sure, I'll do that. And going, oh my God, why did I say that? I can't do that. I can't deliver on that. I don't, I don't have the time. I just want to say yes, because I want, I just love the people that I'm with. We all go through this. All of us go through this. All of us go through this. And part of this game of discipline is really interpersonal. And by the way, when you have integrity of speech, and when you know, when you say you're going to do something, you end up doing it, the people around you in a way would rather that than when they're in front of you and you give and either you break down or you don't deliver. That's discipline, like taking to the next level. That's discipline. Let me just take, thank you, Miriam, for taking us here. Ready? That's discipline of speech. That's so much further. There's discipline of action. What can I do? What can I do? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? Then the next level is discipline of speech. What could I say? What can I say? Once you, we go up these levels of discipline, we learn how to control even what comes out of my mouth. We learn how to calibrate the words that, I'm being, that are being said. Now we start getting to discipline at the next level because now everything starts to be holistic. We don't say one thing and do something else. We don't think one thing. When I, when I mean think, I don't mean like a thought passes by. I mean, we don't think one thing that we were holding on to and say something and then do something else. It's all one. Thank you, Miriam, for that question. Let's do one more. And then I want to share with one message. Katrim. I've been pronouncing your name right. Thank you so much. Uh, asked the question, if you remember we did on the show, um, we said that a lazy person considers himself smart or wiser than seven sages. Remember we spoke about that? A lazy person considers himself wiser than seven sages. What does that mean? So this, in a way, connects to the first question, which is laziness, which is what we spoke about as the antithesis of enthusiasm and zeal. And by the way, if you think about it, is the antithesis of discipline. I hope you're seeing how laziness actually rears its ugly head, both in the trait of discipline, when you have to push a little bit more or hold out a little bit more from giving up, 
and in the trade of enthusiasm and zeal where you have to just keep on pushing, right? Not doing the wrong thing and pushing to do the right thing are two ends of the op- of the same coin. And in the middle of them both is laziness. Laziness comes from comfort. Comfort comes from survival. Survival is how we're all programmed. And all of us have within us the root of laziness. So if you ever feel lazy, welcome to being a human being. If you ever feel tired before you're really tired, if you ever give up before you should, welcome to being a human being. It comes from the program. The program says to survive. To survive, I have to make sure I have enough energy for the future. I have to always be protecting myself and I have to always be inclining towards comfort. We come from the ground. The name that God gave us is Adam. Adam is man. Man is not a not a male. It's mankind. Adam, the Hebrew word stems from Adama, which is the ground. We spiritually even are connected to the ground, and the ground is earth, which is lazy. And so we want, there's a part of us that just wants to always say no. I told you all this, it happens to me all the time, all the time. I sign up for things, and then when I have to do them, I'm like, do I have enough energy? Can I do it? And there, it's, it's being a human being. The goal is not to say there's something wrong with me. If you're out there feeling lazy and you're like, there's something wrong with me. If you're out there feeling exhausted and you're feeling something wrong with me, then you're missing the point. Nothing wrong with you. Just how you're, it's how we're programmed. We just have to realize that we don't want to feel like we're not good. We have this thing in our mind called the confirmation bias, or we think that we're better than we really are. We have a bias to ourselves. So when we feel lazy, and as opposed to saying, I'm lazy, we say, oh, well, that's the problem. It's not me that's lazy. It's they're asking too much, or they're driving me crazy, or I don't really need to do this, or what's the point anyways? So this is a great example that a laziness is what, the laziness is what drives our minds to make stuff up as to why I shouldn't do it anyways. Now, I don't have to do it. And I don't have to feel guilty about it. And all we got to do to change that, or at least the beginning of what we got to do to change it, we got to just call it out. I shouldn't eat that food. I'm just being lazy. I should get up. I'm just being lazy. I should have been prepared for this presentation. I was just lazy. When you go to your boss, you ever have this to you? I remember when I was in law, forget about it. It's happened to me every single time. I would hand a memo into my partner's office and he would like immediately like pull out the red pen. Anyone have this with whatever version is in your life? He pulls out the red pen and he's like going like this and he's marking the whole doc up and he goes, well, what happened with this piece? And my answer was always like, well, I called. And the real answer is I was just lazy because this is exhausting because I'm working on this for 10 hours. And there was this piece as I read it, like I didn't figure that part out. And I was just too lazy to go back and like really delve into this aspect of the law so that I can nail this question. Just call it out. I'm being lazy. And as soon as you call it out, your brain can now try to help you fix it. But what happens is we don't call it out. What happens is we like make up stuff. It's her fault. It's his fault. I was tired. It's not my fault. This is too hard. This is too easy. Right? How many times, if anyone here is raising children, how many times when a kid gets a bad mark on a test, it's like the teacher, she didn't explain it. It's too hard. The answer is you're lazy because you're not doing work. 
90, listen, some kids, most children, when they don't do well on tests, it stems from, I was just too lazy to put in the amount of effort that I needed to do this well. So laziness really, when it starts off in your brain, it comes by the time it gets here, your laziness already looks and sounds and feels like some bit of wisdom that you figured out as to why you shouldn't have done it anyways. A lazy person thinks he is smarter than seven sages. And if we can just connect the two dots, that thinking is why we don't really nail zeal and discipline. Because zeal and discipline requires real, real effort. And our ability to push ourselves, to always calibrate ourselves, to make sure we're doing it right is hard. If you don't journal, if you don't mind me saying, and I fail at this too many times, I, I miss journal is, journals all the time. If we don't journal, it's really, I think, or forget journaling, writing. If we don't introspect or review our actions, I think it's because we're just being lazy. And it could be not lazy like I'm tired. It could be that I'm lazy to like stop and really stop my day with enough energy to get to the journal or start my day. There's a laziness in just sort of bifurcating time too. Because the game here, and maybe we'll end with this and I'll just put the election stuff in timeless lessons for the, I'm sure if you guys get timeless lessons, if not, Andy can post it. You see, the game here that we're getting at is not getting anywhere. I want to make sure this point's clear. There's no destination to the calibration of zeal and discipline, which are the first two traits that we, we're jumping into. You don't get anywhere. It's not like you we get somewhere and we're like, wow, I nailed it. It's just the way you live your life. You're always calibrating. You're always figuring it out. You don't like use these traits and then like nail life. And then you put life on autopilot and off we go. These traits are just learning, are teaching us how to drive. You don't learn how to drive and then never leave your driveway. You learn how to drive and then you go out and take on the roads. And great drivers, like people that love driving, they're just not even satisfied with the neighborhood. They want to go driving and driving connoisseurs, no cars and how it feels and transmissions and they, they find places to drive. You don't learn and practice these traits and then like, got it. We practice these traits so that we can use it every single day. And every day there's new stuff to put it on. And every day there's new road to cover. And every day there's new times where we've miscalibrated. And every day we say we failed. And every day we go, we got to get better. And every day we go, I don't have the strength. And we push through maximum strength. And every day we go, I should have been more disciplined. That's the joy of life. You get to take the controls and start to use them. Life doesn't just come at us. And we're like, oh, that worked. That didn't work. We get to like come at life. We get to play the game. That's what these traits are doing. They're giving us controls, but we got to go out and use those controls. So what we're, what we're really doing really is practicing life. 
And if we're not spending time thinking about, did I do it well? Did I fail? Did I succeed? Did I do that right? I gave, did, did I give right? I'm giving, is this too much? Is it too little? Did I have discipline? When I woke up, should I? Well, if we're not having a time a day where we're just looking at our lives and questioning our own ability to apply the, the traits properly, we're missing out on the key piece of all of this, which is the application. We're never going to get it right. It's not about getting it right. It's about getting it and using it and working it. That's where prayer comes in. At the end of it, you go, God, I'm trying my best. Look into my efforts. Don't judge me on my results. The secret is that God doesn't judge us on results. Not that I know of. He judges us on our efforts. And that's our job. To try. To try to calibrate to try to make it work, to see and fail and pick ourselves up, to take failures and put it back into our brains and then articulate it later on, whether it's in a, in a journal or in our minds and go, whoa, and that comes out again, I missed that. When we can look at the world through these traits of yes and no, the levers of life, we're able to go through life and be smarter about decisions that we make, get more out of who we are, and ultimately accomplish more than we thought of. Okay. Have a great weekend, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. Good Shabbos. With God's help, we're going to start something new on Sunday. But until then, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for a great week. We're lucky. If your eyes are open right now, it's the greatest gift we have. It's another day to get a little bit better. An awesome weekend. Shabbat Shalom. With God's help, I cannot wait to see you again next week.